This is the daily podcast from St Paul's Knightsbridge, an invitation to pause for not more than 10 minutes each day to think, to reflect and to pray. I'm Alan Guyland. This week, as we approach the Feast of the Epiphany on Wednesday, on which the Church celebrates the legend of the coming of the wise men to the Christ child led by a star, we are reaching for the stars. Although from the preacher's perspective the event happened about two weeks before it might have, the rare alignment for the first time in 800 years of Jupiter and Saturn in the night sky in what was dubbed quickly by the popular media the Star of Bethlehem phenomenon was something of a homiletic gift. It was early because, of course, the Star of Bethlehem, so-called, which many of us could see with the unaided eye in the night sky on the 21st of December, is more normally associated with Wednesday's Feast of the Epiphany on the 6th of January than with Christmas itself. The conjunction of these two planets, producing a blinding point of starlight in the sky, provoked a flurry of speculation that this rare heavenly phenomenon might, on one of its previous rare occurrences, have been the origin of the legend of the Magi, led by a star, coming by way of Jerusalem to Bethlehem to pay homage at the throne of the new king, as St Matthew relates in his Gospel, which is a lovely piece of speculation. As ever, however, the truth is a far more complex thing. Only children and grown-up biblical literalists take at pure face value St Matthew's strange account of camels, kings and precious gifts, which is so picturesque. Anyone with any biblical knowledge at all and with any grown-up appreciation of the Gospels can't help but notice in St Matthew's story the echoes of Old Testament prophecies being fulfilled as Matthew contrives and crafts his story. The gifts, the light amidst darkness, and the camels, which all come from Isaiah. The voice of weeping and great mourning heard in Rama, and of Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more, which comes from Jeremiah, and which finds so neatly an echo in Herod's massacre of the so-called holy innocents. The vast majority of serious biblical scholars see in St Matthew's infancy stories the weaving of fables and pious legends, which are intended not to be read as history in the modern sense, but that rather appeal to the imagination and to what Luigi Gioia has taught us to call our ludic, our playful instinct. Their ahistoricity doesn't make them less true, just differently true, and the more powerful, because our imaginations are just as strong as our capacity for reason, indeed more so. So there may or may not have been a star, and if so that star may or may not have been some heavenly alignment of Saturn and Jupiter, and that putative star may or may not have led wise men from the east to the infant child, it matters not. What does matter is that in this story which we cherish, we perceive a truth, a great truth, and indeed a revolutionary insight that needs to have place in our Christian worldview. And that is that with the arrival of the wise men from the East, 
The Christian story ceases to be merely a story about a reform movement within Judaism, the so-called Jesus movement, just another sect among many competing sects in the highly factionalised world of first century Palestine, moves it from that to being a faith of universal instinct, which is to say a faith that sees the gathering in of the whole world, Jewish and Gentile, into the promised kingdom of heaven as God's desire. In painting his picture of faith in Jesus Christ in this way, St Matthew, who was a good Jew, we know that because he talks about the kingdom not of God, naming God was anathema to any good Jew, he speaks rather of the kingdom of heaven, and for that same reason endlessly refers back to the Jewish scriptures, which is why he's often saying, as was foretold by the prophet Isaiah, and so on. St Matthew is doing something which is truly radical. If all of this seems a bit abstruse, well, it isn't. The gathering in of all people, rather than an appeal merely to sectarianism within an existing religion, is one of the things that sets Christianity apart although we have done a pretty good job of using it as a vehicle for our base sectarian instinct ever since. How Christ must weep over the factionalism we have created when, from the very first, the drawing in of all people has been part of what is revealed in the Incarnation. As a child in Scotland, I was given a telescope, which my father, I remember, helped me to set up in the garden to gaze into the night sky. I still remember the surge of excitement when, having managed to focus the thing, I could suddenly see not only a wash of white in the dark Scottish skies, but a million pinpricks of light, each a recognisable and distinguishable star. The immensity of it was overwhelming. All of that universe out there revealed, blowing my tiny mind. The star-led wise men coming in the story from afar, from outside, from beyond the narrow world of Palestine, are a symbol to us of the love of God that embraces that which is beyond, outside, a love that is literally universal. How tiny, even at our best, we tend to imagine God's love to be. In truth, the love of God is greater than we can ever know. Next time you're anywhere with a sufficiently clear sky and less than usual light pollution, why not look up and wonder and ponder and be led by starlight into the contemplation of God's eternity? and the eternity of God's love. And why not join me tomorrow for our second pre-Epiphany reflection in this very short series, and then at 6.30 on Wednesday evening for our online celebration of Epiphany, and then for a Zoom drinks party afterwards.